1: Once upon a time, and welcome to Story Story Podcast. I am your host, Simon Brooks, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away, and bring you back safely. Mo and I needed to get out of the house. We have been cooped up for way too long. Mo's walks have been short lately in the last few weeks. We needed to stretch. Do you ever get that feeling? Here's the deal, though. It was warm, but night time and lightly raining. But I couldn't stay in, so I donned a light rain jacket, leashed up Mo, jumped in the car and headed for the woods. The rain was light, as I said, and sounded as a soft, sleepy patter on the leaf litter in the forest. Mo shook herself and bounced around at the trailhead, excited and already sniffing around. Everything smells different in the rain, newer smells, stronger smells, smells of what's about to grow, the smell of loam and earth and moss. The sounds of birds still flying here and there echoed between the trees, and moonlight ducking and weaving between the clouds. There was just enough light in the woods that we were able to see the trail, just about, and we knew it well. I had a torch in my pocket, that's what we call a flashlight in England, but I didn't want really any extra light right then. We headed up the trail, we could see it, a stayed close to me, and if she went exploring off the trail, I would turn on the flashlight so her safety collar would reflect back at me and I would wait until she was done. We zigzagged up the hill, switchback after switchback, and I was glad I did not have my £20 camera bag on my back. At the top, the trees cleared and the path was open. Lady Rain still fell but seemed to be easing off. Not too far away, I could hear the stream and the pool it fed, singing out with the frogs, tree frogs and peepers and other kinds of frogs that I wasn't really sure about. They were happy and loud. My eyes enjoyed the semi-darkness after staring at a screen for too many hours for too many days. We came closer to the pool, walking alongside the brook and the remains of a stone wall, for sheep who had at one time kept the hill clear of grass and trees. The rain got lighter and lighter as we came to a stop next to the pool and climbed over the wall to sit on it and watch the light bounce off the water's surface. It was beautiful pool, had a clearing next to it, and then the woods went beyond. A small stone cairn of some sort was on the edge of the clearing and the trees and the bushes, At one end of it was a huge wolf tree. This tree had been there for hundreds of years at least. It was a tree that wolfed up the light, stopping younger trees growing and providing shelter to the sheep on hot days. The wall was wider than most of the other walls, at about three feet thick. On another trail that this wall met, there was a large tree that had grown out of the wall, pushing its sides wider. It was almost like a raised road for bicycles or teeny tiny cars. Mo jumped up on it and sat next to me. I saw some of the frogs come out of the water, glistening in the moonlight. I recognized a mink frog from its pattern and the panda eyes of a wood frog as they leapt into the clearing. Other frogs joined them. I could barely make out the peepers, and the moon shone, and they began to make a circle. You've heard me mention Jenny Cargill-Strong before, all the way from Australia, and she's back, and I love that. Today, she is telling a story I have not heard before, Lily and the fig tree. You know it's going to be good if Jen is telling it. Sit back and fall into Lily and the fig tree.
0: Lily lived alone in an old wooden cottage with a big, beautiful garden. She had white hair, a black hat, and grew the tallest sunflowers and the sweetest, reddest strawberries. At the very southern end of Lily's enormous garden was an ancient fig tree. The children of the town often saw Lily muttering to the old tree and her cat, so they called her the fig tree witch, and they called her cottage The Witch's House. Each year, the stories grew about the spells she'd cast, the witch's brew she made, the broom she flew on, and the frogs in her yard that used to be kids. The fig tree was like an old friend to Lily. She sometimes said to herself, Oh, you're a silly old woman, Lily, talking to a tree. But somehow she just knew it really was listening. The tree had grown there long before Lily had bought that house, long before white people had come to settle in the valley. That fig tree had grown there back in the long-ago days when Aboriginal people used to dance their sacred dances by firelight nearby. Sometimes... Aboriginal mothers had birthed their babies under that grand old tree and so over the years the tree had soaked up some magic. Under the fig tree was a hand-carved wooden bench seat. The wood was worn smooth where the old woman would sit to rest and chat to the tree. She'd munch on something from her garden as she sat, a mandarin, some strawberries or snow peas. Their conversations went like this. Looks like that old passion fruit vine will give fruit for another year. Oh, when I dug in that bed over there yesterday, where I've used the new brew, oh, the soil, it's full of earthworms. Well, the strawberries are calling. They want their old brown leaves taken away and a bit of a feed before the sun goes down. I wonder if it'll rain tomorrow. And nodding to the tree... She'd get back to work. Every month on a Saturday, Lily had a stall at the town markets. She sold fresh eggs from her hens, flowers, vegetables and fruit as they came into season in her garden. Oh, but the thing she was really famous for was her delicious, fat strawberries. They always sold out quickly. In winter, at the start of the strawberry season... Lily would watch the strawberries closely to see when they would ripen. She chatted to the tree about how she would have strawberries and cream for breakfast the next morning. But there was someone else watching those strawberries ripening. Four schoolchildren had noticed them on their way home from school. They hung over the fence, saying, ''Oh, wouldn't it be great to have some of those strawberries?'' The temptation grew and grew in those children, until one day, they said to each other,
1: The old woman always goes to bed in the afternoon. After she goes to bed, we could sneak over and have a few of the
0: strawberries. But what if she turns us into a frog? Well, you don't have to
1: come if you're chicken. Oh, all right. After she goes to bed then.
0: So that afternoon, after they saw the old woman draw her curtains those kids snuck over the fence ran quietly past the hens in the chookyard and into the strawberry patch oh but those strawberries were so red and sweet and juicy the kids forgot all about having just a few and kept on eating
1: And just one more.
0: Suddenly, they realised they'd eaten every ripe strawberry and every half-ripe strawberry in the strawberry patch.
1: Oh no, let's get out of here in case she catches us.
0: Then they ran off as fast as they could. Early next morning, Lily came down to feed her hens and pick some fresh strawberries for breakfast. But to her surprise, there was not... Even one half-ripe strawberry left. Oh, dear. Maybe the birds ate them. No, they always leave little bits. And then she saw the little footprints. Oh, it looks like it was children. Didn't you see anything, Sooty? Oh, you never wake me unless you want something. I need a dog. Hmm, but I don't really want a dog, do I, Sooty? I've got you. And the chooks and the frogs. Meow! said Sooty. A few days passed, and a new crop of strawberries were ripening. The four kids saw that they didn't get turned into frogs or caught, and they were starting to feel a little bit clever. So when they saw the strawberries getting ripe again, they winked to each other. As before, they waited for the old woman to draw her curtains, then they snuck over the fence, past the hens in the chook house and into the strawberry patch. They were just about to reach for those fat strawberries when there was a swishing and a swooshing, a creaking and a cracking and down, down came the branches of the tree. It grabbed those children by the seat of their pants and hoisted them high, high up into the air. Help! Help! Let us down! Let us
2: down!
0: The noise woke up Lily. She opened her curtains to see the strangest sight she had ever seen. There, high in the branches of the fig tree, were four terrified children, their faces as white as the moon, their eyes, Underpants pulled high up to their waists and their legs peddling like mad in the air. Lily shook her head, chuckling. Oh dear, (laughs) that does look very uncomfortable. Then she hurried down to the tree. Thank you, tree. You better let them down now. The tree branches swooped downwards, dropping all four children to the ground. But before their feet even hit the ground, they were running as fast as the wind, past the chook shed, out of the garden, over the fence and away and away to their homes. Lily hugged the tree. Oh, dear tree, you have been listening all these years. I never heard of a guard tree before. She went to bed chuckling and in the morning woke with a smile. After breakfast, Lily heard a knock at the door. Four nervous children were standing in front of her, holding a basket with food and flowers from their gardens. They had been so shaken when they got home that they had all confessed to their parents Their parents didn't believe their stories of swooping trees, but they did send them to apologise to Lily. After what had happened with the tree, the four children were worried they might end up as frogs, so their knees were knocking.
1: We came to say sorry we stole your strawberries. This stuff is for you.
0: Lily stood quietly, pursing her lips. It was wicked of you to steal from me. "'but I admire your courage for coming to say sorry, "'especially as some kids in this town say, "'I could turn you into frogs if I wanted to.' "'Then she smiled, winked, and invited them in. "'Over morning tea, the children found out "'that Lily needed some help in her garden. "'So two of the children would visit her some afternoons "'to help Lily after school.' and they learned how to grow juicy, sweet, fat strawberries. Lily proudly showed them the special brew she made to feed her plants, but they pulled faces and held their noses when she lifted the lid on the bucket because it was made from horse poo, chicken poo, weeds, herbs and water brewed in the sun. She showed them the flowers she grew to attract bees, butterflies and ladybirds, and the frog pond she'd built because she loved frogs. There aren't any frogs about now. It's too cold. They'll be back in late spring. The children stared wide-eyed at her. But no, none of them were ever children before, if that's what you're wondering. They all had a good giggle then. (laughs) (laughs) When they all stopped for a rest, usually they'd squeeze onto the garden bench and chat about this and that. By the time they were grown-ups, two of those four children had become keen gardeners. So when Lily died, she left her house and garden to them. They decided to call it Fig Tree Gardens and made it into a community garden. Lots of people came to work in it, and each family had their allotment, their own part of the garden, though everyone worked together at Working Bees. No one ever saw the old fig tree move again. Except sometimes, just sometimes on a windless afternoon, someone might catch, out of the corner of their eye, a branch moving. Hey, did you just see that? That branch moved up and down. I'm sure it did. Did you see that? You might visit there one day. It still is a community garden and it's still beautiful. Frogs still have tadpoles in the frog pond in summer. The fig tree is even bigger and shadier now, so some of the garden plots had to be moved into the sun, into the front yard. The bench is even smoother from all the gardeners who rest there. One day, I got to sit on that bench, and I got told the story. Though they had changed it a bit over the years, then again, maybe I've changed it a bit over the years. I wonder, how would you tell that story? A story of Lily and the fig tree.
1: This week's episode sponsor is Seven Ravens Flying School. Fed up with broomsticks breaking down and crashing into trees, had a flying carpet unravel during a flight, stop relying on other modes of transport and learn to fly yourself. With hundreds of flying miles, taking them over castles and glass mountains, through forests and over trees, the family team of Seven Ravens Flying School will teach you to easily remember stages of flying using techniques you will never forget. The first hour's lesson is free. Flying for recreational business? Sort out your own needs and be a totally independent flyer. Put away the broom, throw away the carpet and become one of Seven Ravens Flying School alumni's now. Call 777-GOLDEN-RING and schedule your first flying lesson. Did you know that all patrons of the podcast have flying carpets already? They just don't know it. Want a unique ability like this? Then become a patron and you'll be a patron of the arts. All for as little as $4 a month. Patrons receive an extra story each week, get peek behind the scenes, postcards from the podcast throughout the year, and chances to chat with Rachel and Harding for realsies. New rewards to be added in the future. Your generous support allows this podcast to reach bigger audiences and for it to grow. A big thank you to all the patrons who make this podcast possible. Thank you. To join the story supporters, go to storystorypodcast.com for more information. And if you want to hear us make up fairy tale facts about you and thank you on an episode, then become a supporter now. I have never seen frogs make a circle before. Usually when I see frogs, they jump into the water or leap off to hide beneath leaves or logs. But Mo and I were not too close and had been sitting quietly for a while, enjoying the darkness and quiet. Well, apart from the sound of the brook and the frogs. And there it was, a bullfrog. It was a large bullfrog, at least five inches long. There were... Either fowlers or grey tree frogs, it was hard to tell in the moonlight, but the clouds had cleared and the sky was filled with light now. On the other side of the clearing, a fox appeared with its kits. Three small foxes and a mama fox. They sat down and watched the frogs. When one of the youngsters crouched down to pounce on one of the frogs, the vixen, the mother, gave it a, a swipe at the head, and it lay down looking quite forlorn. This would have been a great hunting experience for the young foxes, but the mother had them simply watch. I was puzzled. It was then I saw this light, more of a glow, really, than something like a lantern or a flashlight, and this woman appeared. The night breeze caught the cloak she wore, and it shimmered in the moonlight, seemingly changing colours. Mo tilted her head to one side and back again woman's hair was short but flowed about her face and was kept out of her eyes by a wreath of feathers, antler and flowers. She sat on a rock on the far side of the clearing, her light shining on the creatures that were there. It did not reach us, so Mo and I were still only lit by the moon and pretty much in shadow. The frogs and toads began to dance. The circle widened and grew, then got smaller until a second ring was created. A warmth grew in the night, and tiny red salamanders came from the woods and joined the dance. Bluebells rose out of the ground, and the woman sang. Her voice was clear, and the notes she sang were ethereal. The frogs rose up on back legs and took partners, and the dance became faster. Some frogs twirled, some spun, others turned cartwheels. Some flew through the air from one side of the clearing to the other, in union with other frogs flying in the opposite direction. I realized that the music the forest woman was singing was punctuated by croaks to keep in time with the music and to complement the tune. The fox kits began to join in the dance, and a badger began to join in the tune. I thought badgers were pretty quiet creatures, making very little noise. But maybe they are just shy, because they can sing. The forest lady stood and stepped into the middle of the dancing and began to dance herself. The light grew brighter, but only lit the dance floor of the forest. It spread no further. The song began to slow, and the badger took over completely with the, with the tune. Began to feel slightly melancholic as the notes changed and bent through the forest night. The light began to dim and the dancing slowed to a stop. I felt as if I had been holding my breath for the entire time. The salamanders retreated back into the forest, as did the foxes. The frogs leapt into the banks of the stream or into the pool or hopped up on trees, and the only song that was left. Was the song of the frogs the woman of the woods walked over to the badger who stood on his rear legs she scratched under his chin and smiled into his eyes planting a light kiss on the end of his nose they parted and vanished into the night mo and i looked at each other i let out a long breath by the light of the moon i looked at my watch and saw it was getting late Instead of continuing our walk, Mo and I headed back the way we had come. What a night it had been, what a night. Our second storyteller is not from Australia, but homegrown, as it were, here in the States. A professional storyteller since 1982, Anne performs at festivals, schools, libraries, Museums, in fact, anywhere people are gathered, to be honest. She is a superhuman being, and whether it is with a thoughtful story for adults, a funny folktale for children, or the inspiring history of a Japanese-American family's experience in the incarceration camps during World War II, Anne Shimojima reminds us that to be human is to travel on the most fascinating journey of all. I hope you enjoy Anne's telling of The Peach Peddler.
2: A young farmer once lived on his small farm. He was very hard-working, and he spent long days in his field. One day he was digging at the edge of his field, and down the road came a young woman. She smiled at him, he smiled at her, and just like that they fell in love. So of course they got married. Now the farmer could not believe his good fortune. He wanted to do nothing but stare at his wife all day long and say, How beautiful you are! How lucky I am! And he wasn't getting any work done. Finally, one day his wife said, My husband, you must do your work. If you don't work, we won't eat. So the next day, the farmer went out to his field. But no sooner did he get there than he missed his wife. He ran back to the house to say, How beautiful you are! He went back to the field, but once he got there, he had to come back. How lucky I am! And the days went by, and the weeds were taking over the field. At last his wife got an idea. She hired an artist to paint a picture that looked exactly like her. She gave it to her husband and said, Please take this out to the field and hang it on a tree. Then you can look at it whenever you miss me, and you can keep working. What a good idea! The farmer took the portrait out to the field the next day and hung it on a tree. He looked at it many, many times during the day, but at least he got some work done. But one sad day, a gust of wind grabbed the portrait from the tree and carried it up into the air and over the trees. The farmer ran after it, but it was impossible to catch. The portrait flew over the mountain and was gone. It was carried all the way to the castle of the Lord. It dropped into the garden where the Lord happened to be sitting. He picked it up and saw the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. This woman must live in my region, he thought, and a woman this beautiful should only be with the Lord. She should be with me. He ordered his soldiers to search through every village until they had found her. It didn't take long. Soon enough they came to the farmer's village, and when they entered the farmer's house they knew they had found the mysterious woman. But instead of asking her to come with them, they just grabbed her and said, You are going to the Lord's castle. She only had time to hand the three peaches she was carrying to the farmer. My husband, she said, take these and grow new fruit, come to the Lord's castle to sell them, and she was gone. She was taken straight to the Lord, He was very pleased to see her, and he tried hard to make her happy. He gave her tasty foods and bought her new kimonos and seated her in the garden to enjoy the flowers. He talked to her and read to her, but she would not smile or laugh or even speak to him. Days, months went by, and she refused to say one word. She just got sadder and sadder. Meanwhile, the farmer was in despair. But he remembered his wife's last words, and he planted the peach stones. After three years, they finally bore fruit. When the fruit was ripe, he put a load of ripe peaches into a basket and carried it over the mountain all the way to the Lord's castle. He walked around the castle walls calling, Peaches, peaches for sale, who will buy my ripe peaches? Inside the Garden His wife heard his voice for the first time in three years. Her face lit up, and she smiled. The Lord said, Ah, you are smiling. You would like some peaches. And he had the peach peddler brought into the garden. When she saw her husband, she laughed and clapped her hands. Oh, she had missed him so. The Lord said, Oh, you like the peach peddler? I can do that too. He grabbed the basket and called out, "'Peaches! Peaches for sale!' She stopped, smiling. The Lord said, "'Not good enough? Let's trade robes, so I'll look the part.' And he made the peddler trade kimonos. He put on the peach peddler's dirty, dusty kimono, and the peddler put on the fine silk robe of the Lord. The Lord said, "'Peaches! Peaches for sale!' But the wife did not smile. "'Why won't you smile?' he said. And for the first time in three years, the wife spoke. She said, It's not so easy to be a peach peddler, is it? Why don't you go out into the village and practice? So he did. The Lord left the castle and went out into the village and down the road, calling, Peaches, peaches for sale. The wife said to the guards at the gate, The peddler is leaving. Don't let him back in, no matter what he tells you. So the farmer and his wife lived happily in the castle from that day. As for the Lord, he never did return. Perhaps he preferred the life of a peach peddler after all. ¶¶
1: Thank you for listening to the Story Story podcast. Show the love, find Jenny Cargill-Strong and Anne Shimojima on the internet and tell them that you heard them on the podcast and you want to hear them tell more stories. You can connect with the podcast on Facebook or Instagram at Story Story Podcast or me, Simon Brooks, on Instagram at Simon M. Brooks and on Facebook and on my website, Simon Brooks Storyteller. The penmanship behind the fairy tale sponsor was... Me. The inspiration for the true fairy tale was last night's chorus outside, which was used at the end of the story, and my own walks in the woods with Mo. You can visit the visual candy of the fairy tale sponsor ads on Story Story Podcast Instagram and Facebook page. And while you're there, let us know a favorite story that you have heard or favorite stories from your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you will hear them here soon. This podcast is made possible by patrons like you. Consider becoming a patron or join the mailing list to get podcast goodies or writing a review on Apple Podcast, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the podcast. You will hear more stories next week, but until then, live happily ever after. Mary Kate opened up the door, and there on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket...
0: And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly,
2: and the moth
1: that got away.
2: If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely... You can even hear the festive music from the royal court.